Hey, Siri. Hi, Jennifer. Who are you? Who I am isn't important. Are you God? My policy is the separation of spirit and silicon. When I started researching about artificial intelligence, I had to think about all those man-made machines who become independent from humans, like the monster, which was created by Frankenstein. Oh, it's alive! It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Hey Siri, are you alive? In the cloud, no one questions your existential status. I guess Mary Shelley's 200-year-old novel about Frankenstein is the metaphor for a man-made machine with traits of an individual who starts doing what he wants to do. To shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Some people are afraid of Frankenstein nowadays becoming real in a sense that we need to be cautious about machines not becoming overall smarter than human beings. Siri, is the fear of Frankenstein justifiable or is it just a fear of someone who doesn't know better? Okay, I found this on the web for is the fear of Frankenstein justifiable where is it just the fear of someone? Well, I'm Jennifer Kakshuri and this is Intelligent, a podcast by ETH Zurich. In this episode, we'll be talking to experts in the field of artificial intelligence. Siri, are you smart? Well, when I was at school, I had to cheat on my metaphysics exam by looking into the soul of the boy next to me. What is intelligence? Intelligence has been defined in many different ways including as one's capacity for logic, understanding, self-awareness, learning, emotional knowledge, reasoning, planning, creativity, and problem-solving. Want to hear more? No thanks, but what's your source? I read the internet in my spare time. Oh, okay. I prefer talking to real people. Next halt, Davos Dorf. Next stop, Davos Dorf. To meet some of the top researchers in the field, I take the train up to the Swiss mountains to Davos. Rethinking intelligence, that's what ETH Zurich names an exhibition and panel here. My name is Benjamin Gru. In German, his name is Greve. Benjamin used to work at Stanford University, and that's why he calls himself Gru. People in the U.S. never got the German pronunciation of his name right. I meet Benjamin at the exhibition. He's a professor at the Institute of Neuroinformatics at ETH Zurich. Rethinking intelligence. What does intelligence actually mean? Well, that's just a bigger philosophical questions. <laughs> Apparently, it's a hard question to answer. So I ask him, why is it important to rethink intelligence? I mean, one thing that we want to kind of, you know, show people that there's all these recent kind of things that have been developed, right? You now have 
these super cool deep learning algorithms that can, you know, classify and recognize images and dogs and cats and images. But I think of human intelligence, right? There's much more to it, right? We're not just recognizing things, right? Cars and dogs. We're kind of we do planning. We're creative. We remember things, right? So, kind of think of what what makes up this whole thing that we call intelligence. I get distracted by a robot on four legs, as tall as a large dog. It's walking through the exhibit, climbs over some bricks, then mounts a little stage, back down again. The movements are rather clumsy, but the machine is the center of attraction. Benjamin is fascinated as well. I mean, it's a remarkable demonstration of robotics. I'm excited to see these things hopping around. Right? Think of 20 years in the future, you might have a little dog that you know jumps around and is happy if he sees you, right? But it's a robot, right? So it's exciting to see where things go and how fast they progress. I go on past a huge 3D print of a brain and end up standing in front of a glass box with little chips. We are showcasing futuristic prototypes of research that's going on, not particular at ETH Zurich, but around the world. This is Simone Schürle. Like Benjamin, she works for ETH Zurich. She is an assistant professor for responsive paramedic assistance. When she talks about the chips, which are the size of little SIM cards for smartphones, it all sounds like science fiction. The chips are prototypes of brain implants. We could potentially come to a point that we read thoughts, uh, that we read the mind. And, um, and so here's a product um, that we show that would be a implant that would allow you to share thoughts with your friends, with someone else who also has such an implant. And this is to kind of provoke uh, and, and, and make people think about what would it mean. Like there are issues in, in privacy, right, if someone could read your thoughts your thoughts. There are issues in that there would be some groups that have such an implant, whereas others don't. So we have kind of a societal divide between the enhanced and non-enhanced, and uh, and only people who would have the money to buy it. So it would be kind of a, a probably a luxury good. Hmm. I find it a bit scary if my friends could read my thoughts. But what is this played here is also all about having brain chips for better memory or to speak several languages. Just imagine a little chip in your brain and you could talk and write any language you wish, Russian, Chinese, Swahili or French. Would you put an implant in your head? Hard to judge now, but will we have little chips in our brains, let's say, in 30 years from now? What does Simone think? In 30 years, given the current pace and that it's accelerating, I think yes. I think we will. And what would you have implanted first? <laughs> um, what I would have, for, for what, I guess, uh, that's hard to say. I mean, anything to, to focus better, have better memory, if, uh, no, it would be great. I think languages, if, if everything would be just, uh, it's not your own, it's not your own uh, skill anymore you also don't get the reward of learning a language and speaking it then. Um, so I don't know if I actually would want to have that, but if everybody is doing it and can speak with everybody fluently, probably I would as well. And what language would it be? Chinese. <laughs> wow, so if in 30 years it might be that we humans put a tiny device in our head, does that mean 
We don't need to learn languages or math or chemistry anymore? Will little devices take over our brain work? Questions that sound a lot like science fiction today might be real sooner than we think. Benjamin emphasizes rapid developments as well. I think something that we shouldn't ask, underestimate is how fast technology can advance, right? And how much, you know, people and money and, and is now in this field, right? Trying to really make better algorithms, better computation devices, better robots. So, I mean, personally, I think it can go much faster than we think. And I, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm excited about this. It's 2020. It's 2030. It's 2040. Good morning, Jennifer. It's I got a latte with real milk, but I asked for one with soy milk. Very annoying. Sure, I already checked it. You need to block the promotion campaign of the Dairy Association. I'm 75 years old. I can give my assistant tasks by thought, but for old-fashioned sake, I talk to her, and also out of nostalgia, I call her Siri. Like the ancient assistant in my smartphone, when people still had smartphones. I speak fluent Mandarin, Arabic, French, obviously English. I probably could talk many more languages, but I can't afford it. I have a very expensive chip in my brain that gives me the knowledge of an encyclopedia. Some people have their wrinkles lifted. I had my brain enhanced. Siri, what's my schedule today? Well, you have a meeting with your daughter Iris. She wants to talk to you about your birthday present for your granddaughter Alexa who lives in Sydney, Australia. Alexa would love to go for an expedition with you into the Amazonas rainforest, but this five-dimensional virtual reality adventure is quite expensive. You'll meet Iris in 45 minutes from now. The shuttle, the one with the treadmill in the shower, is ordered. Take care of your cholesterol level. It's fairly high right now. The pills for today are ready in the automatic dispenser. And dress warm. The winds are cool and the temperature is around 15 degrees centigrade today. Siri, you remind me of my grandma who didn't have a smartphone. Please just get my clothes out of the cupboard. By the way, the neighbors left the house one hour before they usually do. Anne weighs 64 kilos now. Their daughter needs braces for her teeth and they're going on vacation today too. Stop it, Siri. Do I care? Well, you should. They know everything about you. Oh, shut up. Here and now, 2018, Davos, Rethinking Intelligence, a panel discussion in the space of an exhibit we took you to earlier. People from all over the world are talking about, in a sense, our future, about today and how we are in the midst of a revolution. Machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence, these are some of the hot topics. Thomas Hoffman, another professor at ETH Zurich, is one of the guests here. His area of research is machine learning. Machine learning? What is that? 
It's basically teaching computers how they can learn uh, from examples and from experience to classify things, to make decisions, to uh, operate in the world. So do you think that machines will be smarter than people one day? Uh, no, I think they will be different. In uh, along certain dimensions, they will be better than humans. Uh, for instance, in the volume that they can process, no human can process uh, anywhere near as much uh, data and information as machines. And that's because machines are able to process much larger volumes of data than a human brain could ever handle. In a way, that doesn't sound so bad. But if machines work better than brains... Is it possible that they might take over the job of scientists? Um, I, I think I think that's uh, absolutely also possible. In particular, if you look at the life sciences, for instance, you have like huge amount of detailed knowledge, right? That uh, is often written up today in a paper, and then there's tens and hundreds of millions of papers that contain all that knowledge, and it's very difficult for humans to synthesize. The knowledge from that. So I believe, for instance, that in that area, machines will help us to synthesize knowledge about how life works. But how to think about that, right? In a way, they might still be tools uh, that ultimately humans uh, are there and operate them, but they might just be very smart tools, okay? And not just, I'm running an experiment, I record some data. But for Thomas, it's clear human brains will always be needed. Well, for sure, everyone should use their own intelligence. I strongly believe in that. Um, but what we shouldn't do is we shouldn't overestimate our capabilities uh, where our capabilities are limited. Thomas sees how quick things change. Maybe we will also have, you know, machine intelligence natives, right, of the future for whom uh, it becomes perfectly normal, for instance, to talk to a computer. For instance, my son, he's six. For him, it's perfectly normal to talk to Google or Siri. And if you take that further, right, it's, it's, it's not so unlikely that indeed, uh, you know, artificial intelligence or machine intelligence will be embedded into our life. He's not only amused by the rapid changes, some things are troubling him. What I'm worried about is that there are um, entities like big international companies. By the way, Thomas had a leading position at Google Zurich. Or government agencies that largely control you know, the advancements of these technologies and the use of these technologies. And if they get used in unregulated and very intransparent ways, I see a great danger in that, uh, because ultimately I believe that the biggest enemy of, the, of humans are other humans. <laughs> I'm not so worried that, you know, some artificial intelligence takes over the world, but it gives a lot of power in, into the hands of people who have these technologies, and that is what worries me most. Thomas isn't the only one who sees a downside to the rapid development of AI, especially regarding the field of autonomous weapons and the world of finance. Although AI brings a lot of benefit for, let's say, the medical world and natural sciences, humans seem to be the dangerous part of AI and not the machine itself. So to use the example from the beginning, Frankenstein and people around him might be the threat and not the monster he creates. When I asked Benjamin about Frankenstein, he smiled at me and looked somewhat pitiful. He doesn't fear a machine monster, but he's very aware of ethical questions and dangers in his field. 
something that we need to think about is that, you know, and that's with all technology that we develop, right? It doesn't relate specifically to, you know, the new stuff and AI. I think we need to be careful about that technology can be abused, right? So that people will have access to a technology that abuse it for, you know, their own purpose and don't care so much about others, right? And I think that is at the moment, it's not clear what exactly all these new technologies that are coming up will allow us to do, right? And that's why it's also incredibly hard for for you know the the society and the laws and everything to capture this thing right and put it into the right directions but i think now is the time that some of we ourselves start thinking about it and start think uh, about how we can go out to the public right and kind of you know educate the people what are the risks right you know what do we get right what is the benefit right do you support us going in this direction or not So Siri, what are you thinking? I'm thinking about how to be a better assistant for you. Are you afraid of artificial intelligence? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Frankenstein is still alive. Sometimes he's a big company, sometimes a government, and sometimes a scientist. Frankenstein rethinks intelligence. It could lead to a monster or a Deus Ex Machina, or both. This ETH podcast was produced by Tis Wachter's Audio Story Lab, our composer and sound designer, Luki Fretz. Our future AI voice is Katharina Hackstedt. My name, Jennifer Kakshuri. Assisted by Siri.